0: Well, uh, you know, long weekend is here and uh, yesterday was kind of an interesting day, wasn't it? I finished my lawn just in time to look up and think, you know, the sky looks kind of dark right now. And uh, I was just thinking about that storm that we kind of had, at least in our neck of the woods here in South Burlington, where we live just a couple of blocks from here. And uh, literally myself and Maris and Simon are our, our, our two younger ones. were looking out the bay window and we saw just like a, a massive, like, I don't know how big it is, like a 70-foot tree right on our, our lot line, just crash down right across the street. And it just got me thinking about both the, the power of God and the mercy of God as one of our, our team prayed this morning before we gathered here for service. And uh, because the tree didn't hit anything or anyone, and uh, actually it, didn't, it cleared our neighbor's car, didn't do any kind of damage. Uh, and it actually landed on our neighbor's driveway across the street where he always picks parks sorry, his, his new Ford F-150, and it wasn't there. And uh, so you just get thinking about that, just seeing the awesome power of nature, which is a reflection of the awesome power of God. But then you look at circumstances like that where God spares you from something that could have been bad, could have been a different story. You just think, thank you, Lord, for your, your mercy. Well, I was thinking about um, long weekends, and ours has been a little bit rainy, but it's not over yet. But one of the things that long weekends are known for are getting together and, uh, and hosting parties. And and so I wanted to ask you a question kind of on that theme before we get going to the message here this morning, and that is, what is the biggest party that you have ever personally hosted? Just Just reminisce for a moment and think about the biggest party you've ever hosted. What was the occasion... And was there anything memorable that happened? And I'd love for you to reminisce and share with maybe the person beside you or, or think about if you're on your own that question. So just take a few seconds and, and do that, would you? for indulging me in that question and I don't know what came to mind for you. We've had a bunch of parties over the years and uh, we always plan our biggest parties in the summer because that's where we can like pack in the most most people. So we've had a couple of fun garden parties. But this morning as we continue to kind of look in our series Lives Changed by Jesus that we find in the New Testament, we're actually going to look at a story of a woman who met Jesus at a dinner party. And it was one of those parties where there was a, a tension in the room. Have you ever been at a gathering where there's kind of a, an elephant in the room or, a, or something tense going on underneath, you know? And, and this was kind of one of those parties. Um, and it was over how one guest was behaving, actually responding to Jesus, and how another actually person who was there wasn't. And it was so memorable, that uh, the gospel writer Luke records it for us in his gospel. So we're going to go there and invite you to grab a Bible and go to the gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 to verse 50, the end of the chapter, where we find this story of a woman who receives four words from Jesus at this party that literally change her forever. And our passage starts off by Luke telling us the story. And he says this in verse 36 of Luke chapter 7. He says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Imagine that happening at a party. (laughs) When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. And obviously overhearing him, Luke says this in verse 40, Jesus answered him, said, Simon, I've got something to tell you. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone says <laughs> kind of abruptly, hey, I've got something to say to you, I usually feel like it's probably not going to be something positive, you know? And, and here, in not seeing things as he needs to see them, Jesus speaks to Simon, this Pharisee, to put him straight on how he was judging the situation that's going on before him. And Simon, this Pharisee, this, this religious teacher of the day, says back to Jesus, maybe even kind of cocky, I wonder, tell me, teacher, what should I be seeing right now, basically? And in verse 41, then in Jesus' in Jesus' very like fashion, tells Simon a story. And this is something Jesus does often throughout the, throughout the Gospels. He tells stories to help us see what we really need to see. And in verse 41, Luke says, that Jesus tells this story. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Now a denarii in that day was a, a day's wage, whatever that was. So it was a chunk of change. And neither of them had the money to pay him back. And so he forgave the debts of both. And then Jesus takes it back to Simon and asks him a question about this story. He says, now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And then Jesus kind of gets personal with Simon. It says, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I mean, obviously you see her with your eyes. But do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Four words that she receives from Jesus in that moment that literally changes her forever. And then Luke ends up ends the story by saying in verse 49, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And this is a, a common point that Luke is writing into his biography of Jesus, getting us, the reader, to see who Jesus is by this question getting asked and and. and Luke highlighting what Jesus does for people. In verse 50, Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, to really understand this story and what we've sort of just heard and read together, we have to understand a little bit of something about ancient Middle East culture, which is different from our own. Simon the Pharisee, he was suspect of Jesus as a religious leader of the day. So he invites Jesus to be a guest at his dinner party in order to try to figure out Jesus. And so he's like, what can I do? I'm gonna host a party. And I'm gonna invite Jesus as guest of honor. That way I can get close to him and maybe I can lure him into a conversation by inviting him for dinner. And if you wanna lure me into a conversation, I recommend the same thing. It'll work. But in Middle East culture, people went to dinner parties not just for the food, obviously, but to hear important People talk. It was sort of a community event when there was a dinner party being thrown. And in that culture, at dinner parties, there were officially invited guests, and then there were also unofficial attenders who would come also. And Jesus was the official guest of honor at this party at Simon's house. And if you were an official guest of a dinner party, when you arrived in that culture of that Middle Eastern world, you'd first be greeted at the door with a kiss. You'd come to the door and you'd get a kiss on the cheek. And then you'd be invited to sit on a stool at the door. In our culture, we take off our shoes because we have slush and snow. But for them, you'd be invited to sit on a stool at the door and you'd be offered a basin of water to wash your hands. And then you'd be offered water to wash your hot and dusty feet. And then the host, in honoring you, would anoint your head with, with a little bit of olive oil and offer a prayer in welcoming and honoring you to their home. That's just how you would do it. And then you'd be invited to the dinner part of it, and you'd be invited to recline at the table to eat. You see, in the ancient world, uh, dinner tables were, were low, So, you know, sometimes maybe you've seen like a low sort of outdoor coffee table on someone's patio. I mean, that is not a new thing. In the ancient world, everybody's dinner table was was low. And so you'd actually recline. You'd lay down to eat dinner. And I think that's not a bad way to go, actually. That kind of sounds good to me. But to recline and kind of make this sort of work, you would lean on your left arm so that your right hand could be free to kind of, you know, take food from the, the share plates and as you eat. And your legs, of course, you wouldn't want those in the way, so they would be extended backwards towards the outer walls. And so you were, it was like a lounge dinner kind of thing, and that's just how you, you did it. But only the invited guests were invited to lounge at the table where the food was. But all around that table, all around these guests of honor who had been invited to this dinner party there were other as we've said non-invited guests who were just permitted to be there kind of hang out i'm not sure if they got the leftovers or what the deal was exactly but but they were on the perimeter of the room permitted to be there because they were there to listen in on the dinner conversation that was the whole deal but they would not be given the same kind of welcome at the door you know the the kiss the water the oil, and the prayer. And so all of this in the ancient world is just a really big way of showing honor to somebody. And showing honor was just all important. This is part of what cultural anthropologists would call a shame-honor culture. And there are shame-honor cultures today where showing honor to someone was everything and being shunned or shamed Um or looked down upon was the absolute worst thing, worse than being poor. It was the worst thing. And so I want to invite you to just look again for, at this story with me, with these cultural lenses of shame and honor, and how a dinner party happened, in order to really see what it is that Jesus would have us see here this morning about him. And so when Jesus arrived as the guest of honor at Simon's house, what does Jesus say? He says, you know, when I got here, Simon, there was there was no kiss for me at the door. There was no water given for my feet. There was no oil offered to anoint my head. And I'm guessing there probably was no prayer <laughs> either offered. No kiss, no water, no oil. Outside of being the invited guest, no honor. You know, and what we see is Simon wanted to see Jesus, but Simon did not want to honor Jesus In other words, this was a snub. You ever been snubbed? It's just not a fun feeling to get snubbed. See, we we know that this was no accident because you you don't forget to honor the guest of honor at the door in a shame honor culture. This was no oversight on the part of Simon not honoring Jesus at the door as he should have. But Jesus, in his incredible grace, he doesn't immediately say anything. He endures it, and he just reclines at the table. And I thought, man, there's a lesson there for me, Shane. When I, if I ever get snubbed, or if, if I get rubbed the wrong way, or if I get overlooked, don't, don't say anything. Just injure it. Be gracious. You know, be like Jesus, you know. And that's what Jesus does here. And then he just reclines at the table. But as we're just thinking about this story, there was someone else at this party, though, in that room, who did want to honor Jesus. And it was one of the non-invited guests that Luke tells us about, standing on the periphery, actually right behind Jesus, we're told. And it was that woman who everyone in town knew had lived a sinful life, whatever that means. A, a woman characterized by her, her shame of her past, of her previous life, whatever that was. We're not ex- told exactly what her sin was. You know, and I think that's interesting. I, I think there's dignity that God wants to restore to all of us when we've blown it. Yep, there are sins illustrated for us in the Scriptures, and I think that is certainly for our learning, that we would see what it is that God is calling us away from, and some of the, you know, destructive things that can happen to our lives and our relationships and, most importantly, the space between us and God when we we persist in sin. So there's examples of sin, but in this case, there's not a telling of what it was. And I wonder if that's about the goodness and character and graciousness of God, you know, But we're not actually told because it doesn't really matter. Because whatever it was, after her encounter with Jesus, it no longer defines her life. Her past no longer determines her future or her status. What she obviously cares about most is what God would think of her. You know? What defines her now is the forgiveness and the love of God that she has suddenly experienced in Jesus that she is found in Jesus the Christ, which has now set her free in his power, his divine power, to live a different kind of life and to have a different future from the one where she was going. And, And that's what God's forgiveness and love always does for us when we encounter it, when we receive it. It sets us free to live a different life. We become set free internally when we are willing to receive the forgiveness of God for our past. It brings us to a place of inflection in terms of the direction, you know, of our future. And instead, our future with God is what now defines us in the forgiveness of God. It's amazing. In our Bibles, the heading often given to the story is the sinful woman, but I think, you know, I would, someone has suggested we should think of her as the forgiven woman, and I think that's right because that is what, who she is now after this moment. She's the forgiven woman who Jesus honors because she honored him. And when you, when you honor Jesus in your life, and he's always worthy of it, he in turn honors you. He lifts you up as you lift him up. It's just what you can't outgive God on any level. And so she finds herself being honored because she now is becoming an illustration for Simon and the place where he should really be according to the words of Jesus. He honors us when we honor him by canceling our shame, by applying what he did on the cross in the shedding of his perfect righteous blood to cover all of our, you know, all the stains of our sin and our past and our shame. And we've all got a story and and we've all got something we would rather soon forget. But, you know, in seeing this play out and watching this woman respond to what she's experiencing with Jesus... Simon just can't get his head around it. I mean, he's just, he was already suspect. And now this is like at a whole new level, you know, for him, where he sees this woman who's lived a sinful life, not only be in his home, but like she is literally touching this man who calls him a prophet and, and culturally speaking, doing so in a really inappropriate way, letting her hair down, which just wasn't okay then. And it was just too much for him. And so we're told Jesus or Simon says to himself, if Jesus were a true prophet, you know, he would know the kind of person that was getting near him. But Jesus, as we read, has a word for Simon. Because Simon's not seeing what he needs to see. And it's something you and I need to see. And you and I need to apply to our lives. And, And it's the way we need to see the world around us. It's it's Simon is the one in the story who needs a word. The woman already got her word. And she's responding to it. But Simon's the one in this situation who really needs the Word. Because he thinks he doesn't need the forgiveness of God. And there are many people today that don't think they need the forgiveness of God. But if we think that we're mistaken as, as we look at this story. so Later after meeting Jesus and being convicted of his own sin, the Apostle Paul would go on to write these words in Romans 3. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And Paul, the apostle, came to a point where he saw, that's me. And now I'm in such desperate need of the grace of God given to me. There are two kinds of people at this party. There are two kinds of people in our world. There are the more obvious lawbreakers of our world, like this woman whose sin was obvious to everybody in town. But there are also law keepers, like Simon the Pharisee, who was also in need of the forgiveness of God, even though he couldn't see it. Both sinners, both in need of the forgiveness of God, just different issues. And that is what Jesus wanted Simon to see. That is what he wants you and I to see. The problem, you know, was Simon didn't see himself in need of the forgiveness of God. And because of that, Simon is the one at the end of this story who goes without who remains spiritually lost and is the one far from Jesus it's not the other even though he was a very religious law-keeping type of person because even if you're a law-keeper nobody keeps the law perfectly and that's what Jesus came to demonstrate for us he in fact he is the only one who perfectly lived out the law and heart of God in human flesh because he was God himself he lived the life that we could not, that, and He died in our place that we might be canceled of our shame and our, our fallenness, no matter how good it may look on the outside or how religious approach we may have to life. It's only His work, not ours, that saves us and gives us a future with God. That's what. That's the reoccurring theme of the New Testament and, frankly, the whole Scripture. We all need to see our need for the forgiveness of God, and the more we see our our need for God's forgiveness, the more in love with Jesus we become. Did you know that? The more you see your need for His grace, the more in love with Him you become. At the end of the story, Jesus leads Simon to see that He's the one that really needs the forgiveness in this story. and it's, It's the one who has been forgiven of the most, that loves the most, the one who believes they've got little debt before God, Jesus is saying loves God little. We all have a great debt before God because we've all fallen short, and Jesus just wants us to see that, that we might receive from him what we need, which he has come to bring, and that we might love him back the way that he loved us in giving himself up for us. But the fact is that no matter the nature of our past, whether we're a lawbreaker or maybe you see yourself as a law keeper, we're all in need of that all-important forgiveness of God if we will receive it. And Jesus is the one who came to deliver it. I love that in hearing that Jesus will be at this dinner party, this woman comes prepared. She heard he was going to be there and she's like, what can I do to honor him? And she comes prepared if we could read into this story a little bit, she brings this alabaster jar of perfume. An alabaster jar of perfume was a, it was a jar made of hard marble that would often be sealed with a wax so that the perfume, the expensive perfume inside would not obviously evaporate over time. And so she brings this, you know, alabaster jar which couldn't have been light. And she's obviously got a purpose in bringing this along, I'm thinking. And the seal of a jar like that would have been broken, or if not, sometimes the jar itself broken to access the perfume. And this woman knew that in Jesus she'd found what she needed to be set free, to live a different life, to have the peace of God, to have her past canceled. And for her, there's no one like Jesus in whom she could find that kind of love, that kind of hope, And she might have been thinking, I wonder, in the midst of this, why isn't Jesus being honored at this party? And even though it wasn't her place, obviously he's the host, she's like, nobody else has given it up for him. And she emotionally steps into that moment and she intervenes to give Jesus what he was due when no one else was. And she doesn't say anything to anyone either, like Jesus. Now Jesus just takes the offense, and she doesn't scold Simon. She knows she's, like, got her own stuff, right? And she's like, I need to give him honor. And so she steps in, and she begins to give Jesus the honor to his name. And for water, she gives tears. And she wipes Jesus with her hair. And as I said earlier, in that culture, women covered their hair as a cultural value of modesty. And so she lets her hair down, and she begins to dry Jesus' feet with it. And this is so offensive to Simon. I mean, it's offense upon offense, but Jesus doesn't seem to be offended. He sees it as an expression of her deep gratitude for what she has found in him. And she just doesn't care what other people think, because she knows what she's got with Jesus. And it drives her to step in, even though It's not really her place in the social situation. And then not only does she anoint Jesus with oil, not just olive oil, but it's costly perfume and it's on the feet. And you know, when we know we've been forgiven a great debt, it moves us to honor Jesus with whatever we have. Even when no one else is. In contrast, the end of the story, Luke doesn't say that Jesus declares Simon forgiven not because Simon's not in need of the forgiveness of God, but obviously from his posture at that point at least, and we don't know the end of his story, he just wasn't open to receive it. And so he is the one who goes without at the end. But instead, Jesus speaks four words to this woman that forever change her. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And that's what forgiveness does. It brings us into the peace of God, which every person needs. I want to land the plane just to leave you with three short takeaways from this story over and above whatever else God has maybe been highlighting for you as he's been highlighting for me some things in this story. But the first is this. Forgiveness is received by faith. We need to hear that. Forgiveness is received by faith. Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That means forgiveness is not earned. It can't be worked for. Before God, our rights never make up for our wrongs because our wrongs are just there on that. They're part of our story that we can't get rid of unless Jesus washes over them with his lifeblood, with his forgiveness, and permanently washes them away with the cleansing power of his blood. That's what the scriptures say. You cannot earn forgiveness. You have to receive it by faith. We receive it by believing in Jesus for it, and sometimes there's things that I've wrestled with from my past, and I know what the scriptures say. If I will believe in Jesus and ask him for forgiveness, he'll forgive me, and sometimes my heart doesn't believe it, and I have to say I need to believe in that forgiveness and walk in the freedom that's already purchased for me instead of trying to emotionally earn it myself by beating myself up or refusing to release myself from it. Why would I do that when it's already been paid for? This is the invitation that each of us have to receive forgiveness by faith, to really believe it to the place where your heart begins to feel it. Second, forgiveness leads to gratitude. That's our second takeaway, just like the woman in the story. When we see our need for God's forgiveness and we've got a willingness to come to Him humbly and, and say, I, I need it. And I don't know about you, but the more I go on in life, the more I see my need for forgiveness. Anybody with me on that? <laughs> the, more, the more years you live, the more you either with hindsight or more screw-ups, you realize the need that you have is growing for the forgiveness of God as time goes on. But when we receive it, And we come to that place of repentance. We come into a softer heart. And it leads to an attitude of gratitude to get a little cliche. You know, Jesus taught this in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we what? Forgive others. There will be a gratitude in you and a softness in you when you see your need for God's forgiveness. And it will compel you to show that forgiveness to others when when you might have been tempted not to. It's the goodness of God making us like Him. Here's the last thing. Forgiveness. And I wonder if there's anyone in the house or on the stream today who needs to hear this one as we close. Forgiveness is never out of reach. Forgiveness is never, the forgiveness of God is never out of reach. Someone, I've spoke with many people over the years, helping them come into a relationship with God. And a frequent statement that has been made to me is, Shane, I'm just too far gone for God. It sounds good. You don't know me. And I say to them, I don't know you. I don't know you. But Jesus knows you. Jesus had you in His sights when He went to the cross. There is nothing that He does not know about you. The Scriptures say we love Him because He first loved us, not the other way around. And there is not a person listening to these words right now that is beyond the forgiveness of God, no matter what it is. There may be consequences that you will live with for this temporary life before being ushered into God's presence unhindered on account of the forgiveness of God given to you through faith. But no one is beyond the forgiveness of God. I want to invite the worship team to come and help us respond. You know, it is the enemy of God who wants us to believe that lie that who I am and what I've done cannot ever be overcome. That is a lie that the enemy plants in our thoughts, and sometimes tries to reinforce to keep us from moving into the grace that Jesus so willingly wants us to receive. You know, it's, if you look at this story, it was the woman who had lived a law-breaking life that was obvious to everybody that became the closest to Jesus in this picture, not the law-keeping person who was questioning if they even needed anything to be forgiven of. He ended up being the farthest away in this picture. It was the law-breaking one. This woman who probably thought she had a past that could not be overcome, who no one else was giving her grace for. God loves you. God loves you. How do I know that? Because he demonstrated it on the cross. He loves you. He wants you to know the freedom of his forgiveness if you will see your need for it and if you will come to receive it from him by faith. And your life will be changed. And you will have a different future for all eternity, the scriptures say, actually, on account of that great grace. When we come to him, with sincere heart, with the things we know we need forgiveness for. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. What an amazing thing. The evidence of a person who knows they are forgiven and they're growing in that knowledge is just growing honor and love for Jesus. It is, it always goes that way, because you see your debt, and you see he was so willing to pay for it. Would you stand as we just close in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that it was out of your great love. It says in John three sixteen, you so loved the world that you sent your one and only begotten Son for us that through him we would be forgiven and given the gift of eternal life. We just want to say thank you for that gift this morning. I just want to lift up anyone here this morning who's never yet come to the place where they've seen their need for the forgiveness of God and have come to you, Jesus, for it. And all that is required is saying, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died for me on the cross. I receive now your forgiveness. And would you wash over and cleanse me from all of my sin? Would you cancel it as far as it is before you? And would you come and and fill me with your spirit that I could have life anew? Jesus, I just want to ask that you'd help anyone here today grab a hold of that prayer and promise who who needs it. And I sense this morning, just as we close in prayer, that there may be someone here today who's just got an issue in their past and they just feel like they can't get over it. They're carrying it. And they can't believe they could ever get past it. And it's always before you like like a ball and chain. And I just want to say if that's you today, whatever that is of your past, Jesus does not want you to carry that any longer. He wants you to give it to him. Say, Jesus, forgive me for ever doing that, saying that, thinking that, not realizing that. You fill in the blank. Would you forgive me for that? Would you cancel that? Would you break that shame, that secret shame holding over me that I might live in the freedom of your grace, that I might have your peace? His forgiveness is for you and no one is beyond reach and there's nothing he cannot forgive you of and set you free from, whatever it may be. So Jesus, we just receive that grace. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would pour out your peace right now in the depths of anyone's heart today who's bringing themselves to you. We want to honor you in this place as we close. In Jesus' name, let's honor him.